Hello. Hi, John. Hey there, Dan. How are you? I'm good, although the uh, Skype ringtone just blasted me. Is this loud? Too loud? It's just really loud. I don't know why. You know, it doesn't have to be that loud. Wow, that's craziness. Yeah. Try not. It's, uh, sorry sorry to you and the listeners if I'm a little uh, a little echoey. A oh. Little, too much feel, reverb. Feel a little verby today, do you? Yeah, because, well, I'm in the new, uh, uh, the new office and it's still being, I'm still setting everything up and I'm in a room where usually I have so many sound panels that it's absurd and yeah. uh, now i have none and all absurd it's just, sound panels is kind of your that's your <laughs> that's, trademark, my, right? that's my thing and so i'm right now in a room that has uh just the desk in the middle of it with my microphone my laptop and just four bare reflective walls with no with nothing to absorb anything so It'll be like I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm a guitarist uh, in the, the late 80s, just with tons Beow. and tons of reverb, reverb, and I just need to <coughs> pinch some harmonics and I'll be fine. <laughs> uh, tell me about this new, this new space. I guess, I, I guess I'm a little bit behind on the... Uh, uh, no, you're not behind. I just I haven't talked about it very much. Um, we've, you know, I was in a, I was in a, a little office that was like in a fancy, uh, like a fancy office building with a lobby that had marble floors and an elevator and fancy things like that, that I didn't want or, or care to use. But do you, do you wear shoes that go clop, clop, clop on a hard floor or do you wear squishy shoes that just go squeak, squeak? Well, I guess it depends on the day. I mean, you know what you know what red wing boots sound like, which is I what do. I wear frequently. I'm when I'm not wearing those, I'm wearing cowboy boots, and when I'm not wearing those, I'm wearing squishy shoes. But I would say it's a it's a toss up on any given day. Four out of six days, you walk across that lobby and go clop. Yeah, clop. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's a safe bet. And so, uh, but I didn't. You know, you it was it was meant to be a temporary space because the last one that I was in. They were raising the rent, like almost doubling it. And I said, no, it's, it's not even worth what I'm paying now, Ooh. let alone doubling it. So I had to leave there. And of course I had like very little time to do it. So I found a, a, a one, a small, you know, probably 150 square foot room on this floor that it looked like it used to be a corporate stooge kind of office that everyone had their own office inside of it. And at some point they moved out and the people said, well, you know what? We're going to rent out these offices individually instead of just the whole floor to one company. So I was like one of uh, uh, maybe 20 different people who are in these little rooms. And of course, the Hattie, our, our uh, salesperson and producer and fireside tech support person was in there with me. And you could, you could fit the two desks and the two people in there, but that it was pretty tight. And we wound up being in there for like, almost two years, which is about a year and 10 months longer than I had wanted to do. <coughs> so finally we found a, a really nice, a really nice um, place. That's a much, much more the kind of thing that I wanted, which is like, it's, it's, I think you would call it a walk up. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, so you just, you go upstairs and there's a door and you open the door and you're in and, and there's, there's no fancy lobby. There's no snack area. There's no cafeteria or kitchen. There's no, copy room it's just just my crap in a in a, a much bigger space for the almost the same money so 
That's uh, it. And I moved it all. I moved it all myself uh, with a little help, but I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I, I just, it's been a long couple of days, <laughs> a long couple can, of days. Can you walk us through the, uh, the geography of the new space? Yes, it, it, it would be a shotgun style. So it's, there are essentially two rooms. One of them is sort of the front room where we have our regular desks. And then the second room, which has a slight divide in the middle of it, is bigger. And that's where I'm in right now. I have the little recording area. And then I also have an area where I'm at long last going to be able to film the videos that I've been working on without having to completely take everything apart and push my desk against a wall and, uh, and a, a million of other things I used to have to do when I was uh, trying to set up for a video that would take an hour just to set everything up. Now I don't have to do that. I have a place I can just leave the camera set up and just film when I need to. And it's, oh, it's that's perfect. It's amazing. So well, almost the same money. It's like a hundred bucks a month more and that's it. Awesome. Congratulations yeah, to you thanks. guys. And I now know the I'm, difference. Not, I'm not embarrassed to have people in here anymore. Oh, you were embarrassed to have oh, people God. over. Yeah, because it was so, I mean, imagine probably enough to fill a 500 square foot office in a 150 square foot office mm-hmm. with two that people in there, three desks. Uh, it was just horrible. And you know, you can't, inv- it's like when you're a kid and your room is a total mess and there's piles of everything everywhere. And your friend's like, hey, can I come in? We can, I'm like, nah, let's go to your house. Right. I was like that no matter what condition my room was in. <laughs> I, d- I didn't want other kids in my room. No, they would take no. stuff. Well, they're just gross. They get their other kid energy on everything. Uh, I know how you feel. So what well, about I'm you? Where, you're, not, you. you're, in a, you're in a different place every week now. Where are you today? I am. I am. <clears throat> I'm you in sound my great. Di- you sound much oh, better you. than last week. Thank you. I'm uh, here. I'm just, I'm turning up my uh, gain. Oh, mm. there it is. I got that gain all the way up. Mm. Um, I am in a, uh, I'm in my child's playroom. Now, in the ba- is it the playroom of your child or your own personal child's playroom? Oh, good question. I should have a child's playroom. <laughs> um, no, it is, uh, you know, my daughter's mother bought a house it uh, it has a playroom in the basement, and I, um, you know, I've been living here for a month, and during that time, two weeks of the time I was living here, attempting to podcast from here, right? Uh, my daughter's mother chose to have the roof torn off and replaced <laughs> during right, that of period, course, so I course. couldn't re- couldn't record here, couldn't even be here, uh, and then. I think maybe last week there was the, like, I didn't know, but the cleaning people all came during our show. Anyway, I've been really bouncing around and finally I set up my, my good microphones and my good system down here in uh, my kid's playroom. And she doesn't really protest because it's just like interesting. There's just a big table covered with electronic stuff in the middle of her room, which is like, Hmm, well, all right. I mean, she's pretty flexible in that sense. So I'm in a nice carpeted basement room. I have my, now are you living in the room or just recording in the room? No, I'm living in the guest room. Okay. And recording in the room. Uh, but a couple of days ago, I agreed 
to sell my house to someone. After <gasps> this is a big news, big news. Congratulations. Of, well, thank you. I, I, uh, you know, I have mixed feelings. I, I kind of thought it would go a different way. <laughs> yeah, last, last week you were saying that you maybe had some different expectations when it came to how much you were hoping to get for the home and, uh, and some other things ab about that and that you found that you were in the deficit of interested buyers and rich and wealthy buyers. Yeah. And, and I guess maybe not surprisingly because of the, the many things about my house that are unusual, uh, it just took a while for some buyers to all digest it and all sort of come at once and say, all right, now, so there were four people who wanted to buy it. Um, but it was clear that that um, my neighborhood, I think, is the it was the factor in in pulling the price down in in, in a sense that, you know, Seattle is one of the hottest housing markets in the country, uh. but, uh, but you know, I live in a, in a humble neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in, in terms of, if you go across the city and ask your average house buyer. Right. Uh, and so there were plenty of, there, there were plenty of houses that were half the size of mine on much, much smaller lots in what I would consider much less interesting neighborhoods selling for more mm. because buyers could look at them and they were, you know, it was an understandable little package, right? You didn't have the yard wasn't too big. The house wasn't too rambling. There wasn't, for instance, a barn or a swimming pool. Anyway, I got these four offers and, you know, and they were all fine. None of them were like amazing. And so I settled on some buyers uh, that I liked personally because none of the buyers could, I mean, I don't understand. I so you got, to, kept you got to meet the buyers in person. No, no, but they sent me letters oh. to introduce themselves. Um, the problem is that, you know, usually what happens if four people want a thing, um, they keep offering more until one of one is the last one standing. Right, uh, right. like a, a bidding war of sorts. Yeah, or any kind of auction or any sort of market setting the price. But this was a situation where four buyers showed up and basically all offered the same amount of money. And we went around to all of them and said, well, everybody else is offering that too, so what can you do? Mm. And they were like, well, that's pretty much what we all we can do. And I said, this is ridiculous. This isn't how these things go. Somebody... We have four interested parties. Like somebody knocked me off the fence here. Nobody could. And so I chose, I chose a couple that had a couple of kids and they seemed like nice people. And I felt like they would bring richness to the neighborhood. Mm. You know, I was thinking about my, my across the street neighbors and how they would interact with these people and how these people would interact with my across the street neighbors whom I like. And I felt like, oh, their kids will play together. Like I want to leave my house in the hands of people that are going to, they're going to thrive there. Yeah. And so I chose them and I, I signed all the paperwork. And then at the 11th hour, uh, this real estate agent called and she was the real estate agent that none of us liked just her manner. 
And I did, and her clients had not written me any kind of letter. They were a young couple. And I think that the, the implication, the presumption was they were in tech. And at the last minute, they upped their offer, but crucially waived inspection. Oh, why did, now why did they do that? Well, because that is a, that's a carrot, right? It, 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 like you can oh, offer it's a, somebody. it's a huge carrot. Yeah. And so what I said, because the couple that I chose, the couple that I was signing the papers for, they were in a very unusual situation in modern times, which is that they were making an offer contingent on the sale of their own house. Yeah, that's common. Well, it used to be every sale was, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? I mean, who, who could afford to buy a house if they hadn't sold their previous house? But my real estate agent said that it had been three years since she had ex- since she'd accepted an offer contingent on the sale of Oh no, their- that's fascinating. I had no idea. <clears throat> because in Seattle, people are, you know, my mom's house, the top three bidders were all cash offers. Wow, that's fantastic. And then the next two were like 50%, 60% down type of thing. Is she in a, uh, just out of curiosity, a similar neighborhood to yours? Is she in the same? Who, my mom? Yeah. When no, she, no, when no. she sold her house. No, she had a nice house and it sold for a lot of money. It sold for, it was already a lot of money. And then it got bid up to 20% more than asking price. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, it is, but it, 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 it affected my understanding of how right, if it happened for her, it should happen for you. Yeah, right. Anyway, the people that I liked, they had this contingent problem, right? They had to sell their house in order to buy mine. And, and all the real estate agents uh, agreed, oh, their house will be easy to sell. And I was like, well, that's what everybody said about my house. <laughs> right. And they had, you know, they had, uh, they had inspection and they had normal, normal behaviors, but this, this agent came in from left field at the, I mean, I had signed all the papers and they were sitting on the desk, but they hadn't been submitted. Right. No one knew that you signed them. Right. And then this agent stepped in and said, we'll up the asking price to like, you know, basically to, to my asking price. We'll, we'll come all the way to your asking price, which I was like, woo, yay. Like not, not everybody else was like underbidding a little bit. And we'll waive inspection and there's no contingency. So we'll tell you the close date. Here's when the money comes in. It's all done. And I was so exhausted from the last month of just one gotcha after another. I mean, every morning I would wake up and be like, well, today's the day. And then there'd be an email that said, we've got a bidder. And then by the afternoon, they would say, they backed out. I mean, that happened so many times. That's stupid. So. Although I, I liked this couple and I, and I wanted to, I wanted to choose them and bring their richness of them into the neighborhood. This, the, the fact that this offer had no, I mean, the day it was signed, there was no more, I mean, as soon as I signed those papers, there was no more like shenanigans, Right. The only way it could fall through is if the inspection fell through or something like that. Yeah. Or the, you know, some, their financing fell through, but none of that seemed like it was going to happen. 
the guy that's doing their, the guy that's loaning them the money from the bank is a guy I know. So it doesn't seem like the bank is going to, you know, hate, hate to old boy network this, but like the, you know, he's not going to be a jerk about it. So, so I was just like, fine. Like they offered the, it's, it's a no brainer. They offered the most money, no inspection, no contingencies, sign it. But since then, I've been feeling a little bit of a karmic warble. Like what? Because, well, because I don't know who those buyers are. They didn't write me a letter. They could be awful. And and the couple that I liked with the kids and they had an organic farm and all this stuff, like I liked them and I knew that I knew that they would be good in the neighborhood. I knew that they would be that they would add to the neighborhood and good stewards of the house and stuff. And the new people, I don't know who they are. They could be, I don't know what they are. And so, so but they, might even though be, I know, they might be great. They might be great. It's true. It's not like, it's not like you intentionally said, I'm looking for really loud, noisy drug dealers to move in here. You said, here's, here's a family of some form. They want to buy mm-hmm. the house. You just don't know if they're great. Do you have any indication that they're not going to just be great? No, no. Maybe they're better than the other ones. That's so my agent said in all of her years, she never mourns when one of her clients loses a house because she always feels like they eventually find the house that's better for them. That's one. That is true. And I was like, namaste. (laughs) Um, so Yeah. I, uh, that's where I am this morning. I woke up this morning and I, (laughs) and I could be, I mean, I could have spent last night at my house. I went over there. I sat on the couch for a long time. I opened my mail, uh, but it's still, it's still super staged. Right. Um, and so to, to live there again, I would have to kind of unstage it like, all right, all right, get all these fake plates out of here and get why, some real plates why back not, in here. Why not leave it that way and see what it's like to... Oh, well, I'm not going to fill it up with junk, but no. I don't... But those aren't my plates. I don't want to use somebody's fake plates. Mm. You know, like a few things have to go. Like there was a, there was a cow skin rug on the floor that I went out of there. Some... I mean, they 99% use my stuff, but there are some things that... I think one of the things was when they make a bed... For a real estate showing, they don't put sheets on it. They just like they do this weird hospital corners thing with with the with the blanket and pillows, but they don't. I don't know why. I don't know why you wouldn't put sheets on the bed. But I don't think the I don't think the beds have any sheets on them. Now, in general, do you use <laughs> a top sheet or do you go just bottom sheet comforter? I uh, I definitely use a top sheet. Okay, good. Because what else? The show was almost over. What else would I every night kick to the bottom of the bed and get tangled in my feet and <laughs> be like, just the comforter I think is what is what the euros do. Well, that's the thing. I, you know, one of these times long ago, and I don't know whether it was Roadwork or, or Roderick on the line, but we had a sponsor. Yeah. Almost certainly it was, it was through you, a sponsor yeah. that sent us some linen, yeah. Irish linen sheets. Yeah. And those sheets cost as much as a car (laughs) and they're wonderful. But when they offered to send us the sheets, they were like, 
they were like fitted sheet and pillowcases or something. Right, right, right. And I said, what? I need a top sheet. And they were like, oh, well. Right, <laughs> you're one of them, huh? A top sheet's another $900 or something. Right, I was sure. like, it's a deal breaker. Yeah. I'm not going to put a, I'm not going to put a fitted sheet and pillowcases on a bed and then, and then what? And you can't take a top sheet from another set and mix it with no. that one. That's like wearing a uh, half a suit. Yeah, right. So, and in the end they did send me a top sheet, you know, every once in a while I'll stand my ground Dan. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a monster. <laughs> yes. But boy, that's a nice, that those are nice sheets. I wish that they would send us those again. Whatever yeah. happened, that company probably went out of business like every company. Um, I don't know if we still have a sheet sponsor floating around, but I don't know if it's the same one that, that was that one. Oh, well, I, well, I haven't got any new sheets lately. I didn't realize there was a sheet sponsor. Yeah. It might be a second sheet sponsor. I'm always interested in sheets. Let me just put it that way. Yeah. 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 And you're in the California King. I have a California King and a regular King depending on just my mood. Pressed up against each other. And what, what that, One's in one bedroom, the other's oh, in okay. I thought you, you know, needed, you know, you needed two two mattresses side by side. Oh, that would be nice to have room to real really move around. I haven't become that quite that decadent yet. I mean, would you say that you're twice the size of me? And is that accurate? I don't think so. What Close. are you? One hundred and fifty pounds? Yeah, about. Yeah, right in there. Pounds. Yeah. I don't weigh three hundred pounds. In no, but like if you take the, your overall girth and skeletal mass and height and put that all together. The appearance is that you're twice as big. I would say I was half again as big. Like if we put a big coat on you, you could come across as twice as big. I think like if not a padded coat, but something you'd wear, you know, to ski in or, or if you were, you know, planning on, on camping without a tent and you had something big, something that was fluffy, maybe filled with down. I think you, we could say you're twice as big. We're not different enough in size that if you put us next to each other, people would say, oh, look, these are the same species <laughs> and have it be funny. Like, if, like no. you put a chihuahua on the, on a great Dane. Yeah. Yeah. Now is your, when you, when you uh, are interested in a woman, does mm-hmm. her physical like height, does it play into it? Do you look for a, a tall woman or a short, shorter woman, or does she have to be shorter than you? Or, I mean, it, you know, is, are there sort of boxes you've got to check when you're going for that? I'm never, I never consciously, consciously check a single box other than. She has to look exactly like the girl I just dated. <laughs> other than is this girl disagreeable immediately? <laughs> if she's disagreeable <laughs> immediately in some way, shape or form. Like insufferable if, or just disagreeable? If she just, you know, if she just, if I say. Hey, you know, nice to meet you. And she goes, Oh, is it? Or something like that. If she's just, (laughs) if she's just a jerk right off the bat, even if she's smart, you know, and the thing is 98% of the time she's smiling. Like it's not, she's not being a jerk in the sense that she's actually being mean. She's being comedy mean, but she is being mean. And that's, uh, that's a, that gets me every time. But it has, I, we've talked about it before over the years I have, you know, I've dated people of all different sizes. Um, but whatever, for whatever reason, the dynamic lately has shaken down that I am, uh, you know, that I've, that I date people who are small mm. 
And that wasn't, that was not the case. You know, I, I always, um, in high school and college and into my late twenties, I tended to date tall athletic girls who were like lacrosse style players. Um, you know, like, like jock girls. And then in the, in the, in my mid, like, I guess my thirties, sort of tended to date Zaftig girls okay, um, who had, you know, who had their hair in their eyes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, lately it's, it's like small people. And uh, I don't know why. I, you know, generally the people I date are ones that, that uh, approach me. And I don't mean to say that I'm like, uh, girls come to me. I just mean that I've always been shy. I've never had any kind of um, game. I've never, ever, ever like sidled up to somebody and said, let's get out of here or nice to meet you even. You know, I just kind of like lean against the wall. Right. Um, but I'm always good. Oh, and you know, and I'm very flirty, but as soon as a person reciprocates, oh, no, 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 that's not right. If somebody reciprocates flirtation, I'm fine. Like we are, we have fun, but as soon as the moment arrives where it's like, oh wait, this is a serious flirtation. What's next? I always excuse myself and go to the bathroom and then, and then slip out the window. Like it, you really have to, you really have to work hard to get me, um, to be, to, to like understand that it's okay for us to, to agree that we like each other. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a little bit of a journey with me. But, um, so, so I often, I, I, I think it's easy for me to think that the people that I end up seeing are, it's kind of a random assortment of people that are bold enough to get through all of my tiger traps. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the, you know, if you look at, at, uh, the people I've dated in the last 10 years, for instance, there starts to be enough of a pattern of, of, uh, like petiteness that I can't just chalk it up to, well, only petite girls like me, I guess. And it's, you know, and, and I don't understand it. I don't, I don't understand it. Cause it's not, it's not what I would have. It's not what I would have said. You know what I mean? Like there, yeah. there are guys that are like, Oh, I like to date Asian girls. And I've, I've never, had a category like that or thought of people in categories like that. But it always just, it's always like, it's always a kind of retroactive wisdom. Like the first five girls I dated from my high school girlfriend on were all redheads. I think I've mentioned that to you before. Mm -hmm. They were all redheads and it wasn't because I, because I thought I love redheads. It just seemed like a coincidence. And I noticed it later like, Oh, interesting. Wait a minute. She was also a redhead. Mm. Hey, so is she, you know, and this is over the course of a couple of years. Uh, I never could put that together. I mean, I never, I do, I do, I do like redheads. I do appreciate them. I don't believe that they are, a, a crime kind of crime human that a it, lot of are uh, there people that think that, oh yeah, there's a lot of anti redhead bias. In the UK, I, I had absolutely no idea. Yeah, I think in the United Kingdom, redheads are often teased and uh, 
and and belittled. But I think there are a lot of redheads in the United Kingdom, whereas you know everywhere else you go, they're unusual enough that you wouldn't think they encountered discrimination. No, that's so weird. Have you ever seen that map of Northern Europe with the uh, like where the redheads live? No, little little. There's there's just this. There's a map where a, there's a very narrow, relatively narrow swath that cuts across sort of Denmark, uh, Sweden, Norway, Scotland, Ireland, uh, that just kind of, I guess, a little bit of uh, maybe Netherlands, Northern France, but there's just this kind of like there's this area where redheads are from and a, then there's a large portion of those people who are redheaded. And then if you go like around the rest of the world, you find every once in a while, you know, like a few redheads. I mean, you know, I know some Jewish redheads, but I think they tend to be from the sort of Latvia, uh, Russia, Lithuania side of, of the Jewish equation meaning contact with people from this swath of redheads. Right. And then I think, you know, redheadedness is a, is a a mutation that happens elsewhere, you know, once in a, in a great while. But I, I laughed and laughed at that, uh, at that redheaded thing. Cause you know, my, my cousin Paige, she has five kids and they all are as redheaded as you could be just, just ginger, you know, freckles from head to toe. And, uh, somehow I don't have, there's no red in my beard. None. But when I, when I was in my twenties, I put henna in my hair and, and I, I, I dated a girl for about a year. And one day she looked at me and she was like, wait a minute your hair isn't red. Did you dye it? And I was like, no, the red was this henna. <laughs> she said, I thought you were a redhead. I've been <laughs> dating you for a year. I told my folks I, I had a redheaded boyfriend. You don't have red hair. That's so weird. I was like, no, I just have this sort of ash hair. She was like, oh, she was very disappointed. Yeah. Did I, I guess it didn't last because of that. Well, no, there were other reasons it didn't last, but as if there needed to be, we're still close. Mm-hmm. We would like to say thank you very much to OpenFit. You got to love OpenFit because they're helping people get into better shape. They take all the complexity out of losing weight and getting fit. It's a brand new, super simple streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your own living room in as little as 10 minutes a day. You know, everybody has a different goal, right? And everybody's body is different. OpenFit understands this, and that's why they make it so easy to personalize and customize whatever kind of workout you want. They've got amazing trainers and classes. I mean, they have some of the best in the business, the most effective, and that's the whole thing. Like, they understand we don't have a million years to do this stuff. You might only have 10 minutes. They're going to have a workout for you that's going to take 10 minutes that requires no additional gear. Oh, you more serious? You want to get real serious about it? You have more time in the day to spend on getting into shape? They've got to work out for that. The bet, I mean, they've got like uh, like Hunter McIntyre, uh, who has been named by Sports Illustrated as one of the top 50 fittest athletes. Like these are the kinds of people that they have 
on these programs that teach you how to do it. And you can watch them anywhere you you want, your computer, your web-enabled TV, your tablet, your smartphone, your Roku, that's it. And I mean, these are real results. Like you can lose up to 15 pounds, 15 pounds in the first 30 days. Pretty awesome. And they've changed the way that I work out. I used to just go to the gym two, three days a week. Now I can do half of that at home. I can do it when I'm traveling. I can even do it at the office. And you can do this along with me. It's really awesome. Right now, during the Open Fit 30 Day Challenge, you guys get a special extended 30 day free membership trial to Open Fit where you can lose 15 pounds in 30 days. All you do to get that is to text the word roadwork, one word, to 303030. That's right. Use your cell phone. The number is 3030030. So 303030. Text the word roadwork, and that's how they get you in. You'll get full access to OpenFit, all the workouts, all the nutritional information, totally free. So just text ROADWORK to 303030. That's what I did, and that's how I got started, and you can do it too. Thanks very much to OpenFit for making this show possible. So I guess you were, you, you were talking about your house. So what's the next thing that's going to happen with your house? You've, you've made an agreement. You've signed. Did you well, submit just, the papers? Yeah, now I just wait. Now I wait till June. And then they agreed that they were going to let me stay till July. Uh, but the, the problem right now is when I bought my house, I had just come back from basically eight, no, 10 years of touring in a rock band. And during that 10 years, you're not on tour the entire time. But when you're not on tour, you're not really like making a nest or anything. You're just kind of there thinking about your next tour, having band practice, swanning around the town. Um, but it was, it was 10 years of very like focused rock. I was focused on rock and roll. And so I lived at my mom's house. My band practiced in the basement. I was gone at least as much of the time as I was around. And when I was around, I was not very around. So when I bought my house, it was in a way kind of like the, the culmination of all that, that youth that had stuck with me until I was 40, because I didn't do all that rock stuff in my twenties. In my twenties, I was just a, you know, I, well, I was, in rock bands, but I didn't, uh, I didn't tour. I just was, I was living the generation X version of life, which was have as little responsibility as you can spend as little money as you can, which enables you to make as little money as you can. And like the, the richness of your life comes from sitting in cafes all day and having like fun relationships and doing, uh, like reading plays and going to shows and being, you know, like a generation X urbanite. Mm -hmm. And then the band stuff all happened in my thirties. So here I was 40 years old and I didn't have any real, um, well, I didn't have any sort of adulthood. I hadn't put together any kind of adult patterns or 
I mean, I, I grew when I was in the band. I learned how to manage money. I learned how to manage people. Mm-hmm. Sort of took me a long time. I'm still not very good at it. I wasn't good at it then, but I was learning it. I, you know, I, w- I learned how to manage the project of keeping all the different things about a band in in the air, the touring, the recording, the management. But I had never put any adulthood together. I'd never lived with anybody. You know, I'd never lived with a girl. I'd never, um, I'd never had my own coffee pot. You know, I never, I never learned to use a coffee pot. Mm. Six out of 10 people I knew worked in cafes. Like if I needed a cup of coffee, I just had to turn around mm-hmm. and walk in the nearest door and there would be somebody in there that was like, Hey John, here's a coffee, right? <clears throat> when I learned, when I got my first coffee pot and someone showed me how to make coffee in a coffee pot, yeah, I was like, this is ridiculously complicated. You have to get the beans and grind them up and find a filter and put them in and then put the water in and then, but uh, it takes forever. Why don't you just have an espresso machine and a barista? So I bought my house. And at 40 years old, mm-hmm. I, I put all the, I put all these patterns together and I did that and I just cobbled them together. Like I got a coffee maker and then I, a coffee grinder and I, <clears throat> I learned that the lazy Susans in my house were not good lazy Susans. So I didn't really use them for very much. I put stuff down there that I never wanted to see again. I didn't like the doors on the cabinets, so I took them off because most of the houses that I'd lived in in my 20s didn't have any doors on the kitchen cabinets. Okay. Because they were all like old houses that somebody took the doors off a long time ago and never put them back. Oh, it's a very stylish uh, thing to do. I was used to that style, right? You just put your dishes up there and they're there for the world to see. Anyway, then I had a kid. And I didn't go on tour and it be, I became much more home oriented, much more domestic. And I never really fully developed adulthood. Um, but I, you know, I started podcasting. I had, I had a room in my house where I made music, a room, you know, where guests would stay like it, it didn't look bad. But I was very, very, I was very, very alone there. It was a big part of the, the, of buying a house and in living there. I was very alone. And for, and for five of the 10 years I lived there, I was probably the most depressed I'd ever been in my life. And I don't know whether to connect that to the, to the like deep aloneness that I had there, which in general, I would say is what I wanted. Mm. I wanted that aloneness. I I had craved it for so long and now I had it, but I plummeted into just like a paralyzed darkness. And honestly, I think about it all the time and cannot know for sure whether they were connected or whether it was just that the progression of my uh, depression and and bipolar Mm -hmm. was such that that would have been happening even if I were still living downtown in a, in a cool loft. 
surrounded by friends. But now I've sold this house and I go and I look around it and I'm living in just a sort of a unfurnished spare bedroom here that just sort of has a bed and a box in the corner full of books uh, because, you know, they haven't really fully moved in here yet. And none of the stuff in this house is mine uh, except my daughter. And yet, you know, living here, I'm not uncomfortable. I, I see her in the morning, noon and night and the thing that I've always dreaded, which is that at the end of the day, you sit and watch TV. Um, I've been doing that with my daughter's mother. We sit and watch TV. We watched Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And we watch, I mean, she and and uh, my little girl watch World of Dance, which is the type of show that I would, I'd rather not have a TV in my house than watch it. Mm-hmm. But I've started watching it with them, and it's a very positive and fun TV program that I think brings joy to the people that watch it. And like I honestly, I feel like the world of dance brings joy to the world because Jennifer Lopez is a national treasure. <laughs> and I love watching, as we all do. I love watching young people give something their all and dance is a very creative art form. So you, you, you love dancing. You've mentioned this to me privately many times. I love dancing on the topic of girls that I've dated. A lot of them have been dancers. Like when, when I, when the lacrosse players got into their twenties, a lot of them were became dancers of a certain kind. Uh, there was there was a, a a school here, or there is a school here in Seattle called Cornish School of the Arts. I remember at XOXO, one of the early ones. Um, there was a there was a a DJ that was there. That was apparently it was a big get for them. Yeah, big DJ. And I feel like his name was also Dan or something like that. I maybe I'm remembering mm-hmm. it wrong. But mm-hmm. you knew who he was and we were, we were going to be talking or hanging out and you said, oh, I'll meet you over here at this time. And you were, you weren't there. And, uh, everyone was saying, where's John? We didn't know where John was. And then you came back and you, it turns out had been, uh, dancing or something, whatever it, it was happening out in this huge area where he was playing his set and you had been part of that. Mm-hmm. In, in, in doing, uh, movements and other things that you were doing out there. And movements. you said, you said, Dan, you, you need to go out there and spend some time out there. I said, yeah. And you said, yes. And, and this is a quote I'll never forget. You said the whole thing, you said, it's very life affirming. Oh, life affirming. Yeah. But I can't remember the, who the DJ was. Well, the DJ, uh, that was an enormous get for XOXO is a guy by the name of Dan Deacon. Dan Deacon. That's who it was. I knew his uh, Dan was in there somewhere. Yeah. And Dan, um, Dan is, uh, like one of those sort of consummate artists. Yeah. Um, he's like, I think he's lived in, in Baltimore for a long time, but he is, he is a DJ that is very, very much about crowd involvement in his 
performances, but he's, but he's an artist. He's not, he's not just like somebody that's playing some DJ music. Like the whole idea of his shows is that the crowd is very engaged in what he is doing and he's engaged with them. It's participatory Mm. and it, and it's participatory in a way that is extremely fun and extremely life affirming. But also you feel like you are a part of a art happening. You know, it's not just like, he's not just a wedding DJ. Dan is the, Dan is the guy you, you've been on the internet for a long time. Is that right? Yeah. That's safe to say that. Do you remember the very popular, I think you would call it early viral video drinking out of cups? Yes. With the little lizard. Uh huh. The lizard who says. How'd that chair get here? That's not my chair. That yeah. lizard? Yeah, the, it really, I mean, it, lizard is being generous, but yes, it, it was a strange looking thing with weird eyes and yes, it, like some yeah. kind of strange gecko or something. Right. That I'll, is I'll find Deacon. that and I'll, I'll put that into, that's right, that's right. Yeah. I thought so it was Dan, Liam, Liam, Liam Lynch and Dan um, Deacon, right? Yeah, Liam Lynch right. did the- I found did, it. The, I'll put it in the, the show notes for people who haven't Dan, seen that. But it's Dan, Dan is the voice. Dan's the, oh, the voice okay. that's like- that's like, you know, seahorses. Right, I love right, them. Right. Like that's Dan. And he's doing a thing, you know, he's doing a character. Now, wasn't he it, wasn't he, wa- he was watching, that's the story behind it. He was watching a TV show and just saying out loud the stuff that he was seeing. He was or, in character of this, you know, of this person from, you know, his neck of the woods. Yeah. And just changing channels, watching TV, just like, oh, you know, why wasn't I invited? Like just kind of riffing on the TV. Yeah. And then it was animated by, uh, by Liam Lynch with this little lizard. And it was wonderful. I rem- the first time I saw it, I laughed and laughed and laughed. But, uh, but Dan is, Dan is an example of somebody that is like all those things that you, what, if, if you saw it on someone's resume, like, what are you? Oh, I'm a composer and an electronic musician and a sort of uh, like, you know, performance artist. You would go, ugh. I hate this. I hate the, I hate the sound of that. Right. That just sounds pretentious and terrible. You know, a guy from Baltimore that is like a performance artist. But if you get a chance to see Dan Deacon, it is a, it's a rare, rare pleasure, but I love to dance and I love that kind of thing. I, I absolutely will stand on the side and watch it and not get involved if I can. But if it's a situation where somehow I've crossed the threshold and go out onto a dance floor and get involved, um, or get into any dancing situation where I where I where I get over it and get involved in it. Then I will do it until the until the sun comes up, because I really like it. I really like the experience of moving in that way. And I would do it, I think, more at home if I had a larger musical component mm. to my to my life. And maybe maybe as I move forward, I'll put. I'll put music in the house and try to start using music differently. We would like to say thank you very much to Squarespace. You can do so much with Squarespace. You can turn your cool idea into a new website. You can showcase your work, blog or publish content, promote your physical or online business. You can announce an event. A lot of people are using this to announce events. One of my friends is back in the job market again, and she's using Squarespace as her main a resume page, which is uh, called CV for those of you in the UK. See, 
They get you, we get you too. Beautiful templates created by world-class designers, powerful e-commerce functionality, lets you sell anything. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products, and more with just a few clicks. And they've even got 24-7 customer support that's won awards. They're really good. You don't have to worry about security or patching stuff. They do all that for you. And one of the things I like to point out is a lot of the time you're building a website or helping someone build a website and you don't want to be married to that thing forever. You want to build it and then let let the person you're making it for take over. That's what Squarespace really excels at. They make it so easy for you to build something and then maintain it and keep it going and keep adding content to it. Uh, it's awesome. You can make your work really stand out with Squarespace. You can do that by going to squarespace.com roadwork for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code roadwork and you'll save 10% on your first purchase of a website. And guess what? They also have domain names. You want to get your domain name to go with your website or just get a domain. You can do that at Squarespace too. The URL squarespace.com roadwork and use the offer code roadwork and you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Thanks very much, Squarespace. But the, the trick right now, Dan, is that I don't mind being here. This house, there's nothing here that belongs to me except for my little girl. And, and I'm watching World of Dance at night. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any privacy and I don't have any of my things. But I'm not uncomfortable, which is rare or unusual. It's unprecedented. And when I think about, like, I could just go over to my house and live there now. Live there for months. You, you don't want to, do you? Well, I do, but I also think I might, I think that I will feel like I miss my, my family or I miss the interactions that I'm having now, the sort of daily mundane interactions. Cause living at my house, it was easy for, we tried to, uh, I tried to see my little girl every day, but it's easy for that to get interrupted. Sure. If she's got a piano lesson and it turns out I have to meet somebody for dinner, it's very easy to say like, well, I'll see you tomorrow, darling. Um, and it's much harder for that to happen when I'm here because eventually she has to go to sleep, right? Even if I, even if I put her to bed, no day goes by where I don't see her. And when I'm living at my house, yeah, a day would go by, two days would go by without seeing her. And and that was that's a, that's been a natural part of her upbringing but i don't know what to do now because this whole project has been sell my house buy a new house move into the new house so i can be closer to her but i moved into a spare bedroom and i'm close closer to her than i would be if i moved in if i bought another house and it's confusing me are you I thinking don't know, maybe you just Pay uh, and live in this house now, and live in the I, in the playroom. I don't know. I don't know. That seems like a crazy, crazy thing to do. It doesn't actually. Doesn't well, it I do- mean? It doesn't seem crazy to me. I mean, well, it would just, if you it would if you had to pay capital gains tax on the sale of your other house, that would be crazy. But well, yeah, I mean, you could. There's other ways around that. You have to pay capital gains over a certain amount of profit, and I think I'm right on that number. Ah, okay. So either I will or won't, but it, um, but it's not. It, it won't be that I'm. It won't be because I'm sitting on the cash and not reinvesting it. Right. Because the, those capital gains laws have changed. 
because all the tax laws are changing all the time. Yep. Because by golly, let's just keep that all up in the air, depending on who's in Congress. So I don't know. I may just, you know, I may, I think, I mean, again, maybe the perfect life for me. And I've said this for a long time is like, if I owned three houses on an acre of land and, um, sometimes I could go out to my house, which is over there across the grass. And sometimes I could be in this house and sometimes I could be in that house and various people would live in the various houses and I could have a community. I could have a little village, but there would always be a house I could go to. Like, I feel like I may go to my house, but that also I may come back here and stay here. And that's a, that is so new to me, Dan, that was never, I never had, um, I never had that pull to make a home of that kind, a home with a little family. I always, I had a little family, I had a home, but there was always, there were always a couple of other houses as part of that home and they were widely spread in this town. That was the uncomfortable part. Right. They were like not, my, they were not walkable by any stretch no, of the imagination. They were like were, 40 minutes away from one another at the wrong time of day. Sucks. I don't know so, what you're telling me makes me feel happy and optimistic about, about your situation for some reason. Well, yeah, me too. But I, but it's, but again, it's like, it's a, it's a real unknown and I don't, and so how does your unknown, uh, daughter and her mom feel about it? Having you around. I think they both like it. I mean, uh, this is a sort of a big rambler, this house. And, um, my daughter's mother never lived in a, in a house by herself. Have I told you this? She grew up in a, in a house with people. She moved into college and lived in a dorm. She, after she left the dorm, she moved into a group house with her friends. Then she went to England and lived in a communal housing. And then she came back and had a boyfriend and they lived together in an apartment. Then she got married and they had an apartment and then she moved out, got divorced and moved into an apartment. She was by herself in the apartment, but there were apartments all around her full of people. And then she had a little girl. And so this house was the first time she ever, the first night she stayed here. Um, I think Marlo stayed with me. And so she was in this house by herself. And she said later that it was the first night in her life she'd ever spent where she was the only person in the building. And I was like, wow, that is crazy. Mm-hmm. But as you can imagine, that's a pretty, that's a pretty scary feeling if there's no one yeah. in the building. Yeah. And so she said, since I've been staying here, she said, I sleep better when you're here. Hmm. I'm like, hmm, all right, you sleep better. I understand that. Like you feel like there's somebody here and it's comforting. So she sleeps better when I'm here. So she's not like, get out of my house. And I think, I think Marlo just, just likes it better. And that's another thing that's affecting my feelings is like, why would I move back to my house? What would I say to her? Like, oh, daddy's moving back to his house. And if she says, well, why you're fine here, I would say, yeah, well, you've got no answer, right? 
I got to have my alone time. She's like, but you're alone all day when I'm at school and mom's at work. <laughs> right. And I'm like, well, I need my other alone time. She's like, mm, mama and I both go to bed at nine and then you're alone all night because you don't sleep during the night either. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yes, I do have, let's say between eight and 12 hours alone here, but there's other aloneness I need the aloneness of true aloneness. And she's just going to be like, I mean, even as I say it, it's like, huh? You, you well, know, you know that it's going to be a tough sell for her no matter what. Yeah. So I'm not sure, but you know, I'm not, I, I don't feel like at age 50 that, that, that I should be living in the guest room of, of well, someone's house. Well, why not? Don't call it a guest room. Call it John's room. Now it's fine. <coughs> say my room. And then it's, it's not weird. Yeah. You're, you're in a room in a house. You have a room in a house with a bed in it and that is your room and you sleep in it. Nothing weird about that. I'm not encouraging you or discouraging you, but I'm just trying to, uh, remove any fallacies that you may have about it. Well, this is all unfolding, right? This is, these are, I'm, these I'm are, fascinated by it because this is, these are big for, you know, I think that, you know, there's a percentage of listeners who this is the first episode they've ever heard of the show. Or maybe what? they've only yes, or maybe they've only tuned in for a few episodes. This is remarkably different for you. This is a huge, a huge thing in a good way, not a yeah. bad thing. I think it's a good thing, but this like you're 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 having some changes now. Yeah, but for a long time, I feel like things were kind of just status quo for you for a long time. Yes. And now I mean, all, always changing, always, always, always variations, but variations on a theme. Right. Oh, I did some research while you were talking. Um, the anatomy of a first time home buyer. This comes from a site called housing wire and it is a year or two, almost two years old here, but I'll read these stats to you anyway, cause they surprised me. You were mentioning that it wasn't until 40 when you got your first house. Yes. So the average age of a first time buyer is 32 years old. Oh, um, this is just averages, national averages for the U S uh, cause that's, that's all that counts. Anyway, they earn a household income of $75,000. The average home purchased costs $190,000 for which they usually put a 5% down payment. And the average amount of student loan debt per home buyer is almost $30,000. Wow. So a lot of student loan, a lot debt. of student loan debt out there, but I bought my first home when I was 23. Well, you're precocious. It's weird, right. That's abnormal, right? But so like whenever I see people now that are like, oh, I've just bought my first home. I mean, you know, 40 years old. That seems to be much more normal these days than it was, uh, you know, like especially in like the baby boomer time period where you were basically graduating high school and trying to buy a house straight away, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah but I don't think there's anything wrong with what you're doing. I think you just ride it out and enjoy it. You know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like me in that little tiny month to month office. I was just waiting to find something that was so compelling that it was, it was worth me getting out of there. I think you could be in the same, look at it that way then say, you know what? I'm staying here. I'm in a home where I'm close to people that care about me and that I care about. And it's super convenient and I'm saving money and I'm, I'm contributing and, when that doesn't make sense, oh, I'll go get to do the other thing. I'll go do something else. Yeah. Yeah, that may be that may be it. I mean, I I uh 
Yeah, I honestly. But it'll, it's going to be hard if for you to change it later, especially if your if your uh, daughter gets really used to having you around all the time. What what would you do about bringing a bringing a special lady back? You couldn't do that, I bet. No, bring a, that bring would a be, lady friend that would, in. That would be uh, that would be not possible here. Yeah, yeah. but um, but you know, as time evolves, or as as time doesn't evolve, but as, as, uh, as time keeps on ticking, ticking, ticking uh-huh. into the future, uh, into the future, you know, I'm much more, I'm much more now, um, uh, what, what, how would you say this? Like, uh, I've never wanted, and this is going to sound strange to people that listen to this show, but I've never wanted my um, my comings and goings, my, um, my life as it is lived to be known by other people. I am very revealing. I talk about what's going on with me. I talk about my feelings as best I can. Yeah. Oh, you're saying um, you don't you don't want to be monitored at all or or uh, surveilled at all. Yeah. I do not want to be known and never did in the sense that I didn't want anybody to know where I was, including when I was a little kid. I didn't want people to watch me. And I made great I mean I went to great efforts to disappear to go into the woods or to go under the stairs or to go wherever I could, where I couldn't be observed. Uh, because I, I like to, as a kid, I like to, to daydream or, you know, I would do, I was like, um, I was like Bran from game of Thrones yeah. for those of you watching along at home. That's how I see you. My eyes would roll back into my head and I would go to my dream space and I didn't like to be observed when I was there. And I didn't like uh, to, I didn't like it revealed that I was there. It wasn't just that I didn't like to be watched while my eyes were, um, well, when my eyes had gone white, but also I didn't want, you know, there was nothing I wanted less than for people to know how much time I spent in another world. And that, as I grew up, that, evolved because I learned that I could go to that other place while I was walking. And so I didn't have to just, because I didn't have any privacy because no, nobody has privacy when you're, when you're young because they're, you can't afford it. You know, there are people all around you, but if I went walking, I could go to wherever I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I could come and go, right? You're walking along and you're just in a completely other place. And then something happens in front of you. A raccoon falls out of a tree or there's a police incident and you, your eyes can zip back in and you're, you're in the moment as long as you need to be. And then you can pick up your pace and keep on walking and go back to wherever you wanted to be. And so I would walk. I walked and walked and walked for hours at night. I would leave the house you know, I'd leave wherever I was living or leave the bar at 10 PM and I would walk until morning, you know, come home at eight in the morning 
and and feeling great, just exhausted and having worked everything out in my head. Uh, and needed to just come in and 8 a.m. just collapse and and um and that felt like work, you know, it felt like right. real I was doing real real things, important things. Mm. But I didn't want people to know where I had been. I didn't want people to, even to know that I had been walking, let alone where I'd been walking. Um, I would share stories of things that I'd seen if there if something happened. But for the most part, those were those were long walks where I the, the whole point of them was to be uh, was to be gone. And it affected how I traveled because I didn't want to be I didn't want to go to Japan, for instance, because I was afraid of being watched everywhere I went. I really didn't want to be in public places where I was conspicuous in that right, way. Right, right. Because the whole point of keeping moving is that no one has time to see you. You walk into the frame stage right, and people look and they go, there's a person. And by the time they've formulated a, like an observation, you're exit stage left. But in Japan, I just felt like everywhere I went, there would be, there would be eyes on me constantly, and it would be a kind of collective eye. Where no matter where I moved, there was there would just be people that were conscious of like a gaijin. So I so I confined my early travels to the United States, and then when I started to go to Europe, sort of I confined it to cities and places in Europe where I felt like I would be invisible. And it was only as time went on that I got more and more comfortable because you know in Spain, I also am a or in Italy I look like a stranger. And when I first went to those countries in the eighties, it was still, you know, it wasn't, I think tourism has evolved, right? Or it's continued to evolve. Yeah. Now I regret not having gone to Japan, but, but that, that, um, that feeling of being known by being seen I can't quite square how much I don't like that, how much I cannot bear it in a way. I can't square that with the fact that I come on this program and tell you all about everything that's going on with me and we talk about. You just don't want anyone knowing it in in, in, in real time, it seems like. Like it's no, okay I, if you I, talk about it after the fact, but it, you don't want it known while it's going on. Like you wouldn't would want like anyone to, to know filter. that you had just walked out the door, but when you get back, you'd be like, Oh, I was just at this thing. Right. Exactly. I, I, I want to be the, um, I want to interpret what happened before it goes live. You know, I, uh, when I, because a lot of my stories, I'm not just telling the story you know, and then this happened and then this happened, you know, it's all full of interpretation. Every, every vignette I share, like I'm sharing it because I feel like there's a point to what happened and the story illustrates a point. So it's not just, I'm not just, um, just like raw dumping of data. It's all in service of like a worldview and, and nothing you know, nothing gets me down than walking in the door and having someone say, 
where have you been? And if I say, oh, you know, just around. No, seriously, like, where'd you go? Like, where have you been? And particularly when that question is loaded with like, where have you been? I just cannot, uh, I can't tell you how intrusive that feels, how, how much it be, it starts in me a feeling of like, I got to get out of here. Whatever this situation is where somebody feels like they can say, where have you been? Uh, I need to, I need to change that situation because, because it's like so intrusive. So it feels so personal to me to wonder where I've been. None of your business. And it's very suspicious to a lot of people. Right, people. When when I respond that way, they're like, "Oh, you really? There's some reason you don't know. You don't want me to know where you've been." And it's a it's this vicious, vicious cycle of the more I do not want you to know where I've been, the more people assume that it's because I was doing something bad or you have something to hide. Right. And how do you say to somebody like, yeah, what I have to hide is like my inner life, which you somehow wondering where I've been or monitoring where I've been or expecting me to reveal where I've been intrudes upon my inner life in a way I can't quite describe. But as I've gotten older and because I have a little girl I, um, that also is, well, I don't know. I was going to say kind of tempering, but it's, it's kind of not either. It's, it's something permanent in me that I, I don't know how to interrogate it. I don't know if I sat down with a, with a psychiatrist and talked about it for a year, whether we would get to the bottom of it, because I don't know how many people are like me. And, and sit and are content to either sit for hours at a time or go walk for hours at a time just to be alone with themselves. I know there are people like me, but they are also probably hiding that fact because, you know, like maybe Keanu Reeves sitting on that park bench eating that sandwich and looking <laughs> sad. Maybe the, he, he got caught. That's right. Uh, and he spends six hours a day doing that. But, but I, I expect that most people who, who enjoy their own company don't are, are like me. They do not perform it. They don't want it. They don't want it witnessed because it feels like, yeah, I'm here alone with my best friend. Stop looking at us. So that will come into play here because as soon as I start to, as soon as I really settle in and I'm like, I, you know, I'm staying here now, this is my room. There's just an energy. Maybe don't where, make it official. Just leave it like, well, I'm, I'm here oh, in but, the room. But, and But that's the thing. Even, even just in the month I've been here, there's already a kind of, where have you been? And, and I don't, I don't blame anyone for being that way. It's an, it's just like everything in life. When you are, when you are s 
when you're differently abled, the people that are normal don't even recognize that the different, the different ability or the difference even exists. You know, that's the whole thing about visibility of, of, uh, mental illness or of, of, um, visibility of disability or of otherness, right? You come out basically because part of the problem is that people are just sort of steamrolling you all the time with their normalcy Hmm. and they're not aware of it. It's not intentional on their part. And I wouldn't even describe, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, um, a lot of the language around this idea is, is language that feels angry at the normals, right? That, that, um, that we feel othered by them or they are ignorant of us for in whatever way that I'm putting myself in a category of us versus them. Right. And that's just part of this contemporary tone that I think is just shitty. It's just a shitty tone. They're not ignorant of you. You fuck face. They just, it's not ignorance. They're completely normal. How would they know what was going on in your, it's not, you know, ignorance is a dirty word. It's a thing to throw at somebody. It makes them feel stupid. They're not stupid. They just can't even, I, I'm struggling to describe how I am. I don't expect other people to people even very close to me to reckon with a thing that I can't even reckon with and accommodate it. You know, like I struggle to explain it. And, uh, and in the end, most of the time, all I, all I can do is ask for an accommodation. Can you not do that? I can't really tell you why I'm just asking for an accommodation here. And it, and I, and it doesn't work because you cannot accommodate someone who doesn't want you to ask simple questions like, where have you been? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it is a place where I come up against the wall of my difference. And it is, that is a part of my life. It's not their problem, right? It's not, the world is not against me. Other people are not against me. It's just my struggle. It's mein Kampf. Hmm. And that's true of a lot of things when you are, when you are unusual, when you're an unusual person, there's, there's with unusual, um, needs or an unusual identity. And I think that's one of the things that annoys me about now is that no one that there's, there is considerably less understanding that that's your burden. It's not society's burden. We all have burdens. It's, it's, it belongs to, it belongs to you. You are going to suffer. You're not entitled to live without suffering and it's not other people's fault. None of us get to live a life without suffering. You have, and some of us have way more suffering than others and that's not unfair. It just is. Some people are born to suffer or born where their, their life is constructed in such a way, the componentry of their minds and bodies is a, is, is going to mean that they suffer from, from dawn to dusk 
Whose fault is that? Yeah. God. God is the only one to shake your fist at. You cannot expect the world to, to ever even know, to ever even have an inkling of the suffering that you yourself have. So here I am, right? I'm in this house and I'm talking about my, I'm thinking about this because what I know about myself is that when I start to suffer that way, I become insufferable to others, right? right, I, right, right. I cannot keep that suffering out of the room. I cannot help but make other people also sad and hurt. And I see myself in the, I see myself in the moment and I say, you, you know, you cannot do this. You cannot make it hard on other people. And the only thing I can do is leave. It's the only solution I've ever come up with. Get up and go, go out of the house, go, go away, go. And that also brings suffering because the people that you leave behind are like, where'd he go? Why did he go? And then I'm gone for hours. I don't come back till morning, which absolutely suggests the follow-up question. Where have you been? 